This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Father, we thank You again this evening. Lord, we are grateful to come together in Your name. And as always, we ask for wisdom in looking to You, hearing from You, understanding Your Word. Please bless this time together. Please enable us to learn and grow, be fed by Your Word, grow in grace and in the knowledge of You, increase in our love for You, so that in all these things, Lord, You are glorified. And we do thank You, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. I'm going to read 12 through 17. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because He counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding, exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on Him for everlasting life. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God, who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Quick reminder here, um, just to help us stay in context. Uh, we, I've said early on, our uh, verse here that we want to keep in mind as, as again, Paul's main reason for writing, kind of, kind of help us stay on track here. Uh, chapter 3, verse 15, he writes to Timothy, If I'm delayed, I write so that you may know. Here's, here's his whole reason for writing, what he's got in mind. So that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, or the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So he says, I'm writing to you so that you may know how to conduct yourself. We, we would say probably if we were doing this, I'm... I'm, I'm writing these things to you so that you may know how to act in the house of God. Not, not a building. Not, he's not talking about here's, here's how you act when you walk through the doors of what today we call the church, which is really not the church at all. He's talking about the household of God here so that you might know how you ought to conduct yourself in the household of God, the, the, the family of God. If you think of a... a uh, a uh, house uh, holder um, has his family, has his children, has his 
uh, servants, you, you know, the whole nine yards, you've got a household. That's, that's how Paul refers to the church. It's the household of God, the family of God, which is the church. So he makes that clear. I write to you so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God or the household of God, which is the church, the called out ones. Of the living God's, what the word church means, ecclesia, the called out ones. So again, we're talking specifically about uh, the people of God and how we are to conduct ourselves um, in this family, in this household. It's Paul's reason for writing. So that we might know how to conduct ourselves in the house of God, which is the church. The called out ones, the people, not the building, but the people, the church of the living God, the pillar, and he's still describing the church here, the pillar and ground of the truth. And we've talked about that. It's the church's responsibility to hold forth the truth. The true church, um, the unity of the true church is, is centered around truth truth, more specifically the person of Jesus Christ, who, who said himself in John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So the church is all about truth. It's all about sound doctrine like we've been seeing here in, in uh, chapter 1. That's, that's the truth. Uh, another way of, of saying it, uh, for example, verse the end of verse 10, after he gives, chapter 1, verse 10, after he gives his description of all of these uh, uh, wrong types of conduct, unlawfulness, he refers to them as being things that are contrary to sound doctrine or the truth. Sound doctrine according to the gospel of the glory of the blessed God, what we talked about last week. The gospel of the glory of the blessed God. Now, I'm saying all this for this reason. Because Paul, right off the bat, he starts this letter out by saying, Look, Timothy, I, I left you, I left you in, uh, in Ephesus with a charge that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. That's, that's what's at issue here. You've got false teachers out there. Um, they're affecting the church at Ephesus. So Paul says, uh, remember, Timothy, I, I left you at Ephesus so that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. And the flip side of that is, here's, here's what, what we should be focused on. Just like, again, 3.15 says, the, pillar, the church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. We are to be focused on sound doctrine according to the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. So what's at issue here is wrong doctrine versus right doctrine, or you can call it sound doctrine. Healthy, remember that, that's the word hygiene there, um, this translated sound. Healthy doctrine, or as chapter 3 verse 15 says, the truth. The truth. What's at issue is error versus truth. False doctrine, right doctrine. Unhealthy doctrine, sound doctrine. Error, truth. 
He's, he's still talking in that vein. Sound doctrine according to the gospel of the glory of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Verse 11, he, Paul's saying this, this gospel, this sound doctrine, the gospel of the glory of the, of the blessed God or of the happy God, like we said last Wednesday night, <laughs> Paul says, was committed to my trust. He was entrusted with the gospel. And so, he says in verse 12, where we're picking up tonight, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because He counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Now, he's, he's, he's not getting off track here. Error, truth. Still what he's talking about. So now he starts to um, talk about this sound doctrine, the gospel, the gospel of the glory of God. And he begins to, to speak a little bit from his own experience. And I, and I want to point out before we go through these verses that there's uh, an, an in an inclusio here, verse 12, it begins with thankfulness. I thank Christ. This, this, this thought that he's starting in verse 12 starts with thankfulness and it ends in verse 17 with a doxology. Praise. Praise to God. So, just keep that in mind as we go through here. He, he's, this, his mind has, has, has started this thought and... Right, all, right, right at the beginning, thankfulness to Christ. I thank Christ. And then when he finishes the thought, he ends it up with praise to the God who alone is wise and who is eternal and so forth. What's he thanking Christ for? Verse 12. Enabling grace. Enabling grace. And this is, this is the heart of the gospel. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me. That's a good place to start, isn't it? When you start talking about the truth, the healthy doctrine, the sound doctrine, the gospel of the glory of God, or the, as he says here, verse 11, the gospel of the glory of the happy God, the blessed God, that's where it starts for us personally. He enables us. Paul says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me or empowered me. It's, it's a uh, compound word and it's the word dunamis. In dunamis, um, where we get our word dynamite. He has made us able It's the same word that Paul uses in Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He enables me. He makes me capable. You know, a lot of times you'll, you'll hear uh, 
or at least I have heard several times, Brother Carl say something. He'd be talking about something like, uh, uh, for example, someone uh, suffering, and he'll say it's doable. It's it's the reason the reason it's doable is because God enables us. You, if you sit for a moment and you think about some kind of uh, something you would really dread, some kind of intense suffering. And you'll find yourself thinking, I, I could never handle that. I could never go through that. But what Paul is saying in Philippians 4 is that God strengthened me. He enabled me. So, Paul says, I, I've learned uh, how to be abased and I've learned how to abound. I can do all things through Christ who enables me, who strengthens me. So here he says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because He counted me faithful. That's, that's an interesting statement. He enabled me because He counted me faithful. And enabled me for what? What, what was that issue here? What was He... What was he? Why was his faithfulness even be under consideration here? Well, back in verse eleven, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. It's, it's you know the the picture there is like somebody giving you something very valuable and saying, "I'm entrusting this to your care." Paul says this. Glorious gospel. This gospel of the glory of the blessed God was committed to my trust because God considered me faithful. He counted me faithful or judged me to be faithful. Well, that's because He enabled him. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me. Because He counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. The word there is uh, diaconian. It's the word we get our word deacon from. Which, which means service. That's what a deacon is a servant. Paul was enabled... For service. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me, putting me into service. He's enabled me to serve. It's enabling grace. Enabling us to do what we otherwise couldn't do. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God it enables us to, to see in the first place. We, we would never be, uh, and I mean spiritually, because we would never be saved if, if it wasn't for enabling grace, if He didn't enable us to hear and understand the Gospel. And then, He enables us for service. This is something uh, here that's not unique to Paul. Now, his particular service was unique to him. He was, you know, as an apostle and as the apostle to the Gentiles. 
But being equipped for service, being enabled for service, is something that could be said by said of every Christian. First Corinthians twelve five, Paul writes, There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. So there, there are different types of service. If you read uh, 1 Corinthians 12, you'll see uh, many examples there. And, and the whole thing is, the whole idea is that we are one body. We function as one body, but, but just like our physical body, your body's made up of different parts. And that's the way the church is. Made up of different parts. Everybody has different functions. So there are differences of ministries, uh, but one Lord. So every Christian is enabled. Every Christian has experienced enabling grace. <clears throat> when, when you think about the, the task that... Uh, the church has. Again, and what comes to mind is chapter 3, verse 15. The church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. We, we stand for the truth in a world that, uh, that hates the truth. And we reach out with the gospel to a people who don't want to hear it. And in the church, in the church, that's not a place, uh, Lacking in trouble either. You've got a multitude of people in the church, different personalities, different tastes, different baggage that we all bring, and yet we're commanded love one another. Love one another. Serve one another. In fact, that's how love plays out. Jesus, an example that Jesus gave was. Uh, himself was uh, to demonstrate it was washing the feet of the disciples and of course his constant looking after them. We're we're enabled to serve. So just like Paul says in Philippians four thirteen, uh, we could say the same thing. I can do all things through Christ who enables me. I can do all things through Christ who enables me. So so when Paul. As we go through this letter, when, when Paul is laying out, here's how you're to conduct yourself in the household of God, remember that he's also saying that God empowers us to do what He's called us to do. We, we do it by enabling grace. It's doable. It's doable, as Brother Carl says. Verse 13. Now, he's just said, I thank Christ our Lord who has enabled me because He counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. And it's almost as if Paul's anticipating here that you might think, boy, God, God must have thought highly of you. <laughs> he, he must have really thought highly of you. He counted you faithful. And He put you, placed you in the ministry. And He placed you in His service. You must have, you must, before being a Christian even, you must have really been something. 
You ever, you ever get the feeling when you're, when you're talking to people uh, who don't know the Lord and, and you're, you're you know, making an attempt to share the gospel with them and, and everything or just, you know, uh, just, you just want to be a witness. And you ever get the feeling that um, they're looking at you and saying, well, you know, in their mind they're thinking, you know, you, you, you've got it all together. And, and you just kind of got your ducks in a row. And sometimes they, they just kind of, uh, they just, they just look at you and they just kind of think, you, you've just always been that way. They see God's blessing, perhaps, on you. Some, some people recognize that. They see God's blessing on you. Maybe they, maybe they see the, the, uh, the joy or the contentment in your life or the, the sincerity or whatever it is, and they, and they yeah, you've just, you've just got it together. That, that works for you. And I wish I could get it together, but it doesn't work for me. And the truth is that we're no different than they are. So Paul, Paul, no, he, well, from a human standpoint, if we had seen him before he was saved, strictly from a human standpoint, yeah, we would have probably looked at him and admired him for his zeal, and, and, and we would have thought, yeah, there goes a the guy who's, who's, uh, who's just, uh, you know, he's successful. Look at his own description of himself, verse 13. I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, or that word can be translated uh, violent, a violent man. In fact, it is translated violent in uh, Romans 1.30, same word, where there, there where Paul is describing the, uh, the lawless, they're backbiters, they're haters of God, violent Proud, boasters, inventors of evil things. Violence, the word uh, we get our word uh, hubris from. It's the idea of, usually the way we use it is just the idea of arrogance, cocky. Paul says, I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man. It was, it was enabling grace. That's, that's why he's thankful in verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me, putting me into the service. He's, he's actually thankful that he gets to serve because he knows where he came from. Acts 22, 7, he says of himself, uh, he's speaking to the mob when he's arrested in Jerusalem, and he says, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prison both men and women. 
And when he recounts his salvation experience, he records the words of Jesus who say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Galatians 1. He talks about after he was saved, how some Jews, uh, some some believers were reluctant to uh, <laughs> reluctant to uh, welcome him in, so to speak. For you heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure, and tried to destroy it. Galatians one twenty three. But they were hearing only he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. He was a persecutor. A violent man. A blasphemer. He gives a, a realistic picture of himself and, and there's, there's nothing there deserving of God's favor. There's, there's nothing commendable there from God's standpoint. Now, he talks about his zeal, for example, in Philippians 3. He says, uh, I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. And he's only saying there, if, if we're going to boast in the flesh, he says, yes, I've, I have a lot to boast of. But there's no real value in that. Because in reality, he was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. This, this is all of our story. We, we, were, we were all in rebellion against God. And so, the th- entertaining the thought of somehow earning favor with God, and this, just get back for a moment. This, this, is, this is the uh, what I think he's refuting here, the, the error, the false doctrine. Verse 6, some, having strayed away, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. He seems to be implying there that there are people teaching the law with the idea that um, you can somehow be made righteous. And Paul is kind of saying, I've been there, done that, and it doesn't work. Our righteousnesses are filthy rags. For the lost man, the heart is dark. It's in rebellion against God. And the reality is, uh, it's like Paul describes himself here. Reality is you're you're in total rebellion, blaspheming, persecuting. Violent in unbelief. 
So I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy. Verse 13. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. No knowledge, no faith, no belief. And he seems to be contrasting himself there, for example, to some of the Pharisees who, who uh, and he was a Pharisee himself, by the way, but some of the Pharisees that Jesus encountered, although everything was made obvious to them, you know, the, the truth was made known to them, uh, they seemed to uh, understand Jesus' claim, they saw the proof of who he was, and they rejected him. Just knowing the truth, still rejected. Once Christ was revealed to Paul on the Damascus Road, uh, he was brought into submission. So he says, I did those things, and he did worse than some of them, but he says, I did those things ignorantly and in unbelief. Because of that, he says, I obtained mercy. Mercy, enabling grace and obtaining mercy. Didn't deserve it. It's mercy. And the grace of our Lord, verse 14, and the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant. The ESV says overflowing, overflowing grace. <laughs> You take a man who's a, a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent man, and he's persecuting the church. He's persecuting, in fact, he's persecuting the Lord. You know, Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Because when you persecute God's church, you're, you're, you're persecuting God. And this man who was a persecutor and a violent man obtained mercy. To, to this man, God's grace was overflowing. He was strengthened. He was enabled. And he was placed in service. To the very church, to the very Lord and the very church that he was out to kill. And you can see why he's thankful. He was, he was in rebellion. He was persecuting the church, persecuting the Lord. The, the response you would expect is that the Lord would meet him on the Damascus Road and slaughter him right there on the spot. Why are you persecuting me? You don't know who you're dealing with and just wipe him out. But he extends mercy. Overflowing grace. The grace of our Lord was overflowing with faith and love. That's interesting, isn't it? That's, that's, that comes with it. That comes with the grace. That's how God enables. He, he, he equips us with all that we need. All that we need to be brought into service. So His grace was overflowing with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. 
Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? You, you think about a very familiar passage, Ephesians 2.8. Paul says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. It's the gift of God. God gives grace. God gives the faith. Here it's, it's said this way. It's His overflowing grace. In His overflowing grace that He, that he uh, gives us faith and love. And this is where Paul has already said, um, we need to go. The purpose, verse 5, now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart and a good, good conscience and sincere faith. Love. So he, he gives us faith. He gives us love. It's all part of His overflowing grace. And quickly in verse 15, um, He gives a summation of the gospel. This is a faithful saying. Now think about all he's just said about his own sinfulness. His, his, uh, the fact that he doesn't deserve anything good. He says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am protos, chief, the first, the main one. Not, not first chronologically, but but meaning the biggest sinner. Paul says, I'm the worst sinner, but Christ came to save sinners. <laughs> this, this is the gospel of the glory of the happy God. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, rebels, blasphemers, persecutors, Violent men. That's sound doctrine. That's the truth that the church holds forth, stands on and proclaims. It has, like Paul, it has been entrusted to us. We've, we've been handed this message, the gospel. We've been counted faithful. So to speak, God, God has has called us. We're the we're the called out ones, and He's put us in the service. And this is the gospel. This is the message that we're entrusted with. This is what we proclaim. Verse fifteen: Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. You 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 want to know um, why Paul was so passionate? And getting the gospel out to people. Because he had personal experience with it. He saw himself as the greatest among sinners. He knew that he was worthy of death. This, this, this wasn't a, a path for him, uh, to a more productive life or something in this, you know, just self-help type program. He understood that he was bound for hell. And God just poured out His grace on him. Stopped him in his tracks and said, You're mine. I'm putting you in the service. (laughs) 
and you're going to be heir to all I have. The chief among sinners. The worst of the worst. Verse 16. What about us? Is there hope for us? Well, verse 16. However, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on Him for everlasting life. Paul says, I'm the worst of the worst, the chief among sinners, and so Jesus saved me early on so I could be set forth as a pattern for all those who will come along and believe later on. What he's saying is, you, you think you're, you're, you're too bad to be saved? Then look at me the chief of sinners. Jesus has shown His long-suffering. He's demonstrated His long-suffering in extending grace to me. Well, what do you do with that? Except praise Him. And that's where he goes in verse 17. Now, now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. I mean, this is the key to how to conduct ourselves in the household of God. How to act as a Christian. Isn't it amazing? And, and I'm, I like to read. I'm not knocking books. Don't misunderstand me. But... There are tons of books out there that will tell you how to live the Christian life. And it seems like Paul is bringing it down to this. Realize where you came from. Realize the extent of God's grace that has been poured out on you. And, and if, you can, if you can get a hold of that, if you can get a grasp of that, your, your, your heart is, is just about going to bust going to be so full of praise for God. And it makes a lot of other things very difficult. I mean, for example, when, when somebody doesn't act like I want them to act, if I then remember, wait a minute, I was a blasphemer. A persecutor. A violent man. And Jesus hit me with a flood of grace. If, if, I mean, if we think that way, and I think Paul did, I think he was there. If we think that way, then what, what happens is, because we experience the long-suffering of Jesus, it, it makes it hard for us to get impatient with people. Because <laughs> we think, who am I? I deserve God's wrath. I deserve His impatience. And He has lavished His love upon me, as John says. How to conduct yourself in the church of God. 
I mean, it, he, Paul hasn't lost focus here. He's, he's bringing us, in, in, in the very first part of this letter, he's, he's bringing it right down to the main issue. The gospel. The gospel. The, the church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. Everything that we're about, everything that we do, must be gospel-centered. We must stay focused on the overflowing grace of God that has been poured out on us and live for His glory. He's eternal, Paul says. Literally, King of the Ages. (laughs) King of the Ages. Immortal. Can't die. He can't be corrupted. Invisible. He's not not seen or perceived with the natural senses. He's not like the Roman gods that maybe maybe Paul had in mind here. They they were always visible. They always had a form. They looked, you know, some some kind of superman or superwoman or something like that. No, Paul says this is the king of the ages, the immortal one, the invisible one. And the God who alone is wise. And Paul says to Him, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen, he says. So be it. That's the healthy doctrine. That's the sound doctrine. That's the truth. Every, everything we are, everything we do as a church, and everything we do as individuals has, has to revolve around that. And that that's got to be at the center of our existence, just like Paul. To God be the glory. I deserved His wrath, and He poured out His grace. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Let's pray. Father, we do thank You for Your grace. Overflowing grace. Father, we pray. Lord, may we, may we never get over it. There's a lot of things we need to get over, but this, this, isn't, this isn't one of them. Lord, may we, like Paul, just be provoked to praise, to praising You for Your mercy towards us, undeserving sinners. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And Lord, we pray, enable us, make us faithful stewards with this gospel message. May we... May we faithfully faithfully live it, demonstrate it, display it at home, at work, at church, at school, wherever we are. Enable us, we pray, for Your glory. 
And again, we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation, which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.